So some of you know me, and those who know me wish you didn't. For many of you who do not, uh, I am Randy Lockley, and I've been on staff of this church for 33 years. I was seven, I believe, when they hired me, <laughs> which I thought was pretty big of them at the time. I didn't know what I was doing, and I still don't 33 years later. But let me just share what we're going to look at over the next, uh, on Christian's schedule, I think he has me 38 minutes, uh, he will learn. I don't do times and clocks real well, but we will get out before noon tomorrow. <laughs> I want you to know that, um, and I'm going to share my heart with you from the Word of God in a moment. I'm going to share my heart with you just in general. As of June 1st, the elders, and it's hard for me to talk about it because it, it doesn't seem humble when you do this, so please know with all my heart, I want you to know that this is what we believe as the body of elders that the Lord has raised up, that this is God's will for our church at this time, that as of June 1st, I will be senior pastor over both campuses, uh, including Brother John Grant, everybody will be working for me. Uh, I'm a hard taskmaster. I told, I told uh, Brother John this morning my shoes needed shining. He goes, it's not June 1st yet. So. <laughs> uh, that really doesn't matter. <clears throat> the significance is it's not about Randy. It's not about Randy being chosen over Grant. Uh, one of the things you will learn about being around me is I'm going to be completely frank and honest with you. The people at Arlington have learned that they have to laugh when I tell them to laugh. If they don't, uh, God will get them. Uh, I don't, uh, <clears throat> so when I tell you where we are, I'm telling you the truth. If someone else tells you something else, then they're not telling you the truth. Uh, people like to spread gossip. Uh, there's a reason that Paul and James and so many of the apostles spent so much time talking about the tongue and gossip and how it is set on fire by hell and Satan can use it. Uh, it's ripped many a church apart, and we're not going to allow it to happen to Christ's church. So let me make it real clear on the front end that as of June 1st, Randy is senior pastor. Grant Nixon's role has not changed. He will still be speaking pastor at this campus. He will still be student pastor at this campus. He will be speaking 75% of the time. Yes, I'm going to be here from time to time. I will do a series here and there. I will be here probably on an average of once a month. You will hear from me. Grant will be going to Arlington, so the people at Arlington begin, can begin to get to know him. Our, what we are doing is the same. Are there some role changes? Yes. Is God in it? That's what we believe. We believe at this moment in time, God has brought us here. And let's see what happens. Can I tell you where we'll be a year from now? No. Can I tell you where we'll be three years from now? No. Can I tell you what we're trying to get to? Yes, I'm going to share that with you in a moment. We are continuing to pray and seeking God's face. And we want as the men who are elders who lead your church, which has two campuses, but it's one church. Your church is being led by men who simply want to do what's right. There are no agendas. There's no turfism. They want to do what God wants them to do. I am so honored that I get to be an elder, that I get to serve with those men not just Brother John and Grant and the pastors, but Chris and 
but the men that are elders, the laymen who, who agonize over what does God want, and then let's do it. We're going to work together, and what we're going to lo- work toward, you'll look at the top of your handout. And by the way, you'll notice your little handout today. Everybody hold it up and make sure you got one. No, not the bulletin. That's that thing you get you don't read. I'm talking about the little handout. All right. It's not yellow. So if you're holding up something yellow, that's not it. You got it? All right, now we're talking. Hold them up. Okay. Now, if you look on the side, it says one church, our church. If you got that, hold that up. We'll know we're all on the same page. You see on there, there are blanks. Do you see the blanks? Okay, good. When I ask a question, you answer. Do I like Randy? Very good. Now we're working. Okay. So when you see the blanks, that means you got something to do. So you need to bring a pen with you or steal one from your neighbor or take it out of the chair in front of you. So as we go through, we're going to fill in blanks when I speak. The reason we do that is to keep you awake. That's the only reason. Hopefully, it'll help you focus, and it's just kind of something I enjoy doing. So, let me tell you one really more, more, really important thing before we get into the Word of God. I know Grant speaks from the English Standard Version. Many of you, that's probably what your Bible is. The Bible that's there in your chairs are English Standard Version. Well, the Sundays that I speak, we're going to use the version that the Apostle Paul, Jesus, and the disciples used, <laughs> which is not the English Standard Version. It's New King James. Not old King James with the these and the thous, but new King James. You know why we use new King James instead of English Standard Version? Because that's what my study Bible is. That's where all my notes are, and that's what I see, and that's just, there's no, they're both excellent versions. You'll see a few differences in words here and there, but by and large, it's the same, so that you will know. So, during my time, whatever, whatever that is, and I, uh, I think Brother John's choice of the word interim is a little unfortunate because when you hear the word interim, first thing you think is that means they're, they're, they're looking right now to hire somebody else. That's not where we are. As of June 1st, I will be senior pastor of this church. Two campuses, under, we have in the elders in the room, I'm one voice, Grant's one voice, Brother John's one voice. Every, the elders together are the voice, but each one of us is an individual voice. We don't just do what Randy wants done or what Brother John wants done or what Grant wants done. We do what the Lord leads the group of men, the body of elders, to do. As of June 1st, that will be Randy Lockley, a senior pastor, and us moving forward. We don't know how long that might be. It could be a year. It could be three years. It could be six months. I'm not feeling real good. That was a joke. (laughs) All right. Uh, So let me share my heart just briefly more, and then we're going to get into the Word of God. The Lord reminded me very graphically why this is so important, what we do as leaders, as pastors, as teachers, as human beings, as a father, as a husband, as a grandfather, as, as a Christian. Last Friday, I was almost killed. I was in a horrific wreck. I was hit by an 18-wheeler going 45 miles an hour, and had I been sitting on the other side of the car, I would not be here. Had anyone been in the car with me, they would not be here. Uh, and God reminded me, standing out in the middle of the road afterwards, you could see, I'm still ugly, but I'm not hurt. See, that's good. Y'all coming along. All right. I'm incredibly bruised and very sore. 
but it's a graphic reminder that life is so precious and so, so important. And what we do as the church of Jesus Christ is the most significant thing that's done on this planet. Nothing compares to it. When you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ, Paul's word to the church at Corinth, when you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ, that's a higher call on you than being president of the United States, which I don't think any of us would want at this moment in time. Christian is the greatest name you can be called by as a human being on planet Earth, that I am a follower of the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one true God. Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. And as we begin to look at moving forward as Christ's church, my passion, the, the, the passion of our elders going forward is that we're going to have one church. And it's our church. Now, I realize it's the church of Jesus Christ. Don't misunderstand me. But I want us to focus in this morning on the local church because that's the tool, according to Paul in the New Testament, According to Jesus himself, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. I realize there's a universal church. There are believers all over our city today worshiping and all over the world that worship in the name of Jesus Christ. That is the church, universal. But God's tool, breaking it down, kind of like a family unit, God's tool to accomplish the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples, learner, followers of Christ is through local churches. The entire book of Titus was written for that reason. He said, you go to the, to the places in Crete and set up local churches under elder leadership, and then you go. Jesus' last words before he left planet Earth were, you go, you're going somewhere as you go. It's literal, as you go, you make disciples of me. That's what the local church does. So, if we're going to be what God wants, Christ church, local church, with two campuses right now, one of my prayers is that we'll have a third campus in the next few years. I'm really praying about God and asking you to pray for us that that can happen. We'll see. If it's God's will, then it will happen. Everything we do focused on what does God want for us. So when you get to Colossians chapter 3, the context of Colossians chapter 3 is kind of like Paul saying to them, like being in the army. I want you to be, as the church at Colossae, all you can be. Onward, upward. He was trying to say to them how special you are. Let me encourage you that we are to be that army that spiritually is moving onward and upward to be everything that God wants us to be. So, if Christ's church... It's going to be one church, our church, right now two campuses. If we're going to be what God wants us to be, it is one God. It is one church. It is our church. And if we're going to be what God wants us to be, then what that means is all of us, whether it's Randy, our elders, or you, we have to never be satisfied where we are spiritually as individuals. To never be satisfied that I've arrived. Never to be satisfied that I'm doing the best I can. To always be pouring yourself into the Word of God, learning it, applying it, and then being different where you live, where you work, 
where you find yourself Monday through Saturday, how am I different? Because if the world is going to be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, if that's going to be true, then it's only going to be true as we as individual believers in Jesus Christ take it seriously. And for our church, you take it seriously under the leadership of your elders to grow, to not maintain, but to grow onward, upward, that you'll see as we walk through these verses. So, Colossians 3, verse 1, if you're looking at this context, Colossians 3, 1, whether in your Bibles or your handheld devices, if you will go there. 3, 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. That if in your Bible, and if you, I don't know if you write in your Bibles or not, and it's okay if you do. If not, you could write it on the person next to you, and then they can put it in when they get home. That if in your Bible should be since. What's called a, condition, a certain conditional class in Greek. So let's read it again. Since. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is. So in other words, since this is who you are, you've been raised with Christ, where Christ is, with Christ. Verse, look down at verse 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Look at verse 4. When Christ who is our life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. Christ is our life. We are with Christ. Where Christ is, you were raised with Christ. Paul uses the same type terms in the book of Romans to focus on the fact you, you died, you were buried, and you've risen again in Christ. Then live above the fray. Live differently. Live so people are drawn to the God that you say you follow, the Christ that's in you, because that's your hope of glory. He tells this very church of Colossae in another place. So here's the point. As we begin to look at us being one church, our church, the first thing I want you to focus on, and here it is, this is a great moment in the history of Christ's church. You and Bartley get to fill in your first blank. Are you excited? Some of you don't appear to be excited. What are our eternal priorities? What are our, corporately and then individually, what are our eternal priorities? Now, what this means is, right now, as you live on earth, you've been raised, you're with Christ, your life is hidden with Christ in God, you've been raised to this special new life. So your earthly relationships, your eternal priorities, what we share as believers will affect who we are, how we live, because they, all of life is about relationships. That's, when, that's why when we pray, who do we pray to? Our what? Father, the relational term. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, relational terms. We're the bride of Christ. You can't get any more intimate than a bride, a relational term. Everything about the Christian life is about relationships. So, if, I want our, if we want our eternal priorities to affect our world, then our relationships, people that we work with, maybe you're the boss, maybe you're an employee, maybe you're just the guy in the cubicle next to this person, but you have a, you, you, you're in relationships of all kinds throughout your life. And as a believer, those relationships need to be focused on, number one, our eternal priorities. So back to verse 1. Let's hit these eternal priorities quickly. 
If you're then raised to Christ, I said you're raised to Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is. Seek those things which are above. The word things, uh, bad translation, it's like somebody writing a paper. Like every time you couldn't think of what to throw in the paper, you always threw in the word thing. Well, thing is a bad translation. Should be your heart, your affections. What do you set your affections on? What, what do you love? The, the, what Paul's trying to get across to the Colossians, remember he's trying to encourage them to move onward, upward, and be all that they can be in Christ. He's saying, where's your heart? What are your affections set on? Do you, in other words, the idea in the original language is the affectionate gratitude you should have for all that Jesus has done and is doing in you and will do moving forward. It begins with that. Your first priority is to seek the things which are above. Set your heart, your affections. It all begins with, and then everything's going to flow from this. It all begins with your focus being on Jesus Christ. He himself said, where your heart is, where your heart is, that's the most important thing. Because out of the heart flow the issues of life, Proverbs says. Where's your heart? Where are your affections? Secondly, verse 2, after you get that focus clear, verse 2, set your mind on what? There it is again. Things above. Set your mind, and the idea here is, what choices do you make? What is your will? Where are you? What are you? If your focus is on Christ, your heart, your affections are on the person of Jesus Christ, moment by moment, then you're going to make better choices. When you take your eyes off Jesus, what kind of choices do you tend to make? Lesser ones, not good ones in many cases, but if nothing else, not the best choices. To make the best choices in your life as a believer, you begin with your focus on Christ and say, all right, Lord, what do you want? Not what does Randy want. Not what does Randy's wife want. Not what does Randy, what do Randy's kids want. Not what do those that we shepherd as leaders want. Not what they want. God, what do you want? What is the best in this scenario, Lord? Because a lot of times they're good decisions. Both are good. But you can't choose good. What do you want to choose? Best. What is God's will? So you set your, you set your heart your affection above. You set your mind above, not on things on the earth. Your earthly choices need to be based on what does your eternal God want. Verse 3 and 4, for you die and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Our eternal priorities. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. That's currently right now. When Christ, who is our life, he's your very life right now. When he appears, when he comes back, you will also appear with him in glory. The word for there in verse 3 is better translated because. So now let's catch up. Your heart, your affections, your focus is on Christ. Your mind is then centered on him. You're making good choices. Why? Verse 3, because, not for, because you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's who you are. That's where you are. Those are our eternal priorities. They're eternal because they'll carry us forever. We've been raised with Christ. We are Christians. But they should affect right now how we live, which takes you to number two on your handout. So we see our eternal priorities, which then affect, verses five and six, our eternal, or excuse me, our earthly relationships. 
our earthly relationships. Number two, look at verse five. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Put, put on, put off, put to death. Verse, verse six, uh, drop down to verse six. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Drop down to verse 10. You put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew or Gentile or Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But Christ is all and in all. So your life is hidden with Christ and God. So we look at our earthly relationships, and here's the point, verse 11. What verse 11 is literally saying in, in the prior verses, we're not going to go back and read them, but in context he lists all these things that we are to put off because we're born again. And we are to put on, look at verse 10 again, you put on the new man who's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. And then he goes into there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. Please note, because he repeats these things, always emphatic when it's re repeated. There's neither Gentile nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. That's saying the exact same thing two different ways. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile or a Jew. Circumcised would be a Jew. Uncircumcised would be a Gentile. He says it two different ways. He says it also doesn't matter if you're a barbarian or a Scythian. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or you're a free man. If you're in Christ, if your focus is on Christ, here's what he's saying. It's a very powerful point in verse 11. Particularly when you understand the culture of that day. Jews hated Gentiles. Gentiles didn't want anything to do with Jews. Slaves didn't have any rights. Free men had all the rights. We are Scythian, you're barbarian. You weren't accepted in the Jewish community. But he's saying if you're part of the church, things have changed. Things have changed. In another place, Paul put it this way. There's neither male nor female. When you lived in that culture, women were property. And I realized that might be a good, no, no, no. They were owned by their husband. Property. And Paul says, no, no, in the church, there's no such thing. It's not male or female. We're one in Christ. Incredibly radical. People talk about the Bible being anti-women. It's the most pro-female book ever written. Not slave, not free, not male, not female, not Jew, not Gentile, not barbarian, not Scythian. It's Christ, all in all. If you're born again, if you're a Christian, you're in. So here's what he's saying in verse 11. You'll notice on your screen or there on your handout. We are to be, because we are in Christ, because we've been raised, we've got our focus, we're making our choices. There is no excuse that you can ever give for being racist. There is none. And I'm not talking black and white, even though that could be part of it. You, are, you never have the freedom to look at another person and be prejudiced toward them as a believer. We are all one in Jesus Christ. We are one. So here's what we are to be. Verse 11, we're to be unified. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Christ is all in all. So our earthly relationships coming out of that focus on Christ. We, and again, talking about Christ church, Bartlett Arlington, we are to be unified, one. 
focus on the gospel. We are to be, verse 12, patient with each other. Uh-oh, going to get hard now. Verse 12, therefore, as the chosen of God, holy and beloved, this is who you are. Here's the phrase he uses again, put on. You're putting off the old. You're putting on the new. And this is a covenant picture in Scripture that when you come to faith in Jesus Christ through the new covenant in his blood, the phrase put on is an Old Testament covenant phrase for adopting the identity of your covenant partner. You put on his robe. Another place Paul talks about you put on the robes of Christ, his righteousness. That's what happens when you get saved. You become identified in Christ. That's another sermon for another day, I think. All right, back to verse 12. Therefore, it's a chosen put on. Here's specifically what you are to put on, who you are to be in your relationships on earth as a believer. Number one, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Wow. Because we are raised with Christ, because we put off the old man, we are to put on the new. And then he lists some things. Let me hit, just hit these briefly. Number one, says there, tender mercies. Better translation for that would be compassion. We are to be compassionate toward one another. In the original language, it's a beautiful, in King James, not New King James, but the old King James, 1611 version, the authorized version, the, the thee, the thou version, the old English used to, it would use a term here called your bowels, not in the sense that we think bowels. Bowels then were like the, the center of your being. And the literal of the Greek here is, it's a phrase we understand. It means you have a gut feeling. That's where it comes from. You have a gut feeling. It, we use that term all the time. I've got a gut feeling this guy can't coach. Or I've got a, a gut feeling that this is going to happen. Or, or I've got a gut feeling about this. That's the word. So he's saying, number one, put on compassion that from the very center of your being, not giving it lip service, but when you encounter another person, even if it's a total stranger, when you encounter that person, you're interested in them. You're compassionate toward them. You want to know what's going on with them. You care. People say, I don't, I don't have anything to talk about with people. Ask them about themselves. Everybody likes to talk about themselves. I love to talk about how good I look. I know it's a lie, but I still like to talk about it. I love to talk about how blessed Mary is to be married to me 44 years. I, I love to remind her. It was so funny after I had my wreck last Friday, I, and I really, I, I wasn't hurt. I'm running around, and you know, the paramedics are trying to get me to stop so they can look at me. I mean, my car was just demolished, and they're thinking, this guy's got to be hurt. And I was bleeding my forehead, and I didn't know it, and bleeding my, but it wasn't anything significant, the guy. Paramedic said, Yo, I said, I'm all right, I'm all right. He goes, well, you know you're bleeding from your head. And I said, oh, maybe I'm not all right. But I was fine. But in the moment, the thing that hit me more than anything else was, thank God nobody else was in this car with me. How would I, how would I live with it if I would got somebody killed? What if one of my grandchildren had been in that car with me? So God reminded me, number one, it's not your time. I got some more things for you to do, but also just be reminded you're blessed to be my child. I love you. And so the guy that, that in the truck, I'm running toward the truck, uh, was hit by an 18-wheeler. He left the road and ended up in the ditch, and I'm spun around. I'm sitting in the middle of the road. I jump out of my car, and I'm running toward the truck. There's a guy running toward me. And I said, he said, you all right? You all right? I said, yeah, I'm fine. I got to check on the truck driver. He goes, I am the truck driver. 
I said, okay, I guess you're all right too. And I said, let me go over and talk to this lady that caused me to hit you and see if I need to punch her or no. Well, I turned to run to her car. Well, she's gone. So when the, when the police get there, when the sheriff's deputies get there and they're, they're talking, we, we give them our, obviously I'm the one that's, that's going to be in trouble because uh, I turned in front of him. So it's my fault. That's fine. I deserve it. But the guy's talking to me now, and I, I just stepped out. It's within five, ten minutes of getting out of this car and almost being killed. And he says, you need to call somebody to come get you. And I said, okay, um, let me find my phone first, and uh, I'll call somebody. Uh, uh, let me think. So it wasn't 30 seconds later. He's like right here. He says, I told you to call somebody. And I went, hey, man, could you relax for a minute? I, I just was, had a traumatic event in my life. And give me a minute, and then I said, I said, you know what? I live two miles from here. If I need to, I'll walk home. And I've talked to a friend of mine who's on the sheriff's department later. He goes, why didn't he offer to give you a ride home? I said, I never thought about that. Now, I tell you all that to tell you this. In that moment, you know what my biggest concern was right there in that moment? I wanted to make sure the truck driver, number one, that he was okay, and number two, when his boss got there, his boss got to the scene, I went to his boss, and I'm not telling you this so you'll think something cool about Randy, but I'm telling you this so you understand everything is about relationships. Obviously, we'd never met before, but we met last Friday. And I went to his boss, and I said, I want you to know it's not his fault. I don't want in any way for him to get in trouble. It's my fault. And it was really, I think, the fault of the, the dumb lady. That, but we'll leave that alone. She was gone. But I want you to know it's not his fault. Please don't hold this against him in any way. I know he was kind of afraid that might happen. And I said, please. Here's the point about this idea of being unified, being patient, putting on tender mercies, that everybody you encounter, even if it's somebody that hates you, we probably all got those. Maybe it's somebody you just don't like. Anybody in your family you don't like? Sure there are, but that doesn't give you the right not to love them. There may be things about them you don't like, but you still have to put on tender mercies toward them. Compact that you're interested in them as a human being. You know why? Because God is. Christ is. He died for them. You put on tender mercies. Secondly, you put on kindness. Kindness is simply patience, an action that results from the patience of putting on the tender mercies, it's the action. You have the compassion, then you do something. You just don't talk about it. You do something. What can I do? What act of kindness can I show that person to let them know I care about them? Third, you put on humility. Humility is very simply not even thinking about yourself at all in Scripture. It's the opposite of pride. Pride is the essence of all sin. Humility is putting on that it's not about me. It's never about me. It's always about the other person. It's the only character attribute Jesus ever claimed to have was humility and meekness that are tied together right here. It's the only thing Jesus ever said about himself. I'm meek and lowly in heart. And then it says be long-suffering. Long-suffering. That means you put up with people. I love this because we, we, we all have this in our family. I guarantee we're going to go around the room now and you're going to tell me the name of the person in your family that fits this description. We'll start with my daughter. No, we won't do that. 
We'll start with her. Not, not, never mind, I'll leave that alone. All right. The idea here is long-suffering. It means you endure another person's conduct even though it exasperates you. Even though it exasperates you. Just put you almost, you just continue to love, you continue to show them acts of kindness because you're a Christian. You're different. You, and then bearing with one another. All right, but next, verse 13. I'm going to hit these quickly. We are to be forgiving, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. This is the one verse in the Bible I wish God had left out. I'm constantly reminded by the Holy Spirit about this verse when there's somebody that does something that hurts me. What does God tell me? I have. By the way, this is a command, not a suggestion, not a hint. You know what he's saying to me? You have no option, Randy. No matter what another person does to you, you have to forgive them. And not just forgive them, you have to forgive them the way Jesus forgave you. Is that hard? Yes. That's why you can't do it. Who can do it? Christ in you. The hope of glory, Paul told the church at Colossae. You're not going to do that. Christ in you will, if you let him. I could give you many examples. When you work at a church 33 years, you tend to make people not like you sometimes. And they might say things about you or do things toward you. Man, whether you work at a church or you're just a Christian, I'm telling you there's nothing more powerful than you saying to someone who's hurt you, especially if they know they've done it, that you let them know how much you forgive them, you love them. Here's the idea in Greek. You not only forgive, it's easy to say I forgive, maybe even in your spirit to forgive, but here's the idea. You not only forgive, you have to forget. That's not so easy to do. But not only that, you have to let it go. You don't send any reminders out. You don't gossip about it. You don't wish evil toward them. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, what do you do? You pray for them. You ask God to bless them. You pray good toward them. Corey Ten Boom, and I know many of you have heard of who Corey Ten Boom is. If you've never read the story of her life, The Hiding Place, you need to read that book because it will convict you and you will grow if you read that book, The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom said this about this principle. She said, the Old Testament says, God cast our transgressions into the depths of the sea. And then he put up a sign that said, no fishing. I love that. God cast them and what does he do? He remembers them no more. What am I supposed to do? Cast them in the sea and remember them no more. Why? Because that's what God did for me. That's what he did for me. Forgiveness. So then verse 15, number three on your handout. Find loving there in verse 14. Loving. Above all these put on love. Now verse 15. So our existence together on the planet. Number one, verse 15, first point. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you also were called in one body. And be thankful. This is how we live out those priorities of our earthly relationships. Number one, ruled by peace and gratitude. Ruled by peace and gratitude. This is how we live them out. As one church, 
whether you're in Arlington, whether you're at Bartlett, as a local church, we're ruled by peace and gratitude. Verse 15 again, please notice this. Let the peace of God rule. That word rule in the original language means umpire. Most of us, if you've ever played baseball, you didn't care much for the umpire. And I've been basketball referee, and they don't care too much for us either. Let the peace of God be the umpire. The Holy Spirit in you is to be the umpire in our relationships. Not what you want, not what the other person wants. What does the Holy Spirit want? Peace and gratitude. We were called, notice verse 15, we were called into how many bodies? Make sure we're all looking at verse 15. How many bodies were we called into? One. One body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one it's throughout the New Testament. It's everywhere. You can go back to the Old Testament, get in the Ten Commandments. God talks about being one God, three persons, one God. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, and the last night he was on the planet, as he was praying for the disciples in the room, he also prayed for us. Read John 17. Well, it will set you on fire. At the end of it, he says, I pray for those who will follow as they believe. That's talking about us. And he begins that prayer by saying, Father, now that my hour has come, and I'm paraphrasing John 17, 1 and 2, now that my hour has come, glorify me, now I'm quoting, with the glory we had together before the world was. Before there was a universe, there was God. The only self-existence thing in the universe is God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And before there was a planet, they simply loved each other in perfect harmony and fellowship. They were one. That's his prayer for the church. That's his prayer for the church. So we're, we're to be ruled by peace and gratitude, the peace of the Holy Spirit, and gratitude for what Jesus has done in our lives, and let all the other stuff go. Focus on what does God want as a unified body. And let's go forward. Verse 16, controlled by God's word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Controlled by God's word, dwelling in you richly. We don't have time to go through all this, but it's beautiful. In all wisdom, that's seeing things the way God sees them, teaching and admonishing each other from the word of God. And then it gets into the music ministry. I love that. We all know that when, when, when God tossed Satan out of heaven, where did he land? Right here. Because everybody wants to fight about it. Why? Why we fight about that? They love Jesus. Different styles love Jesus. Why we fight about it? We shouldn't. We should appreciate, love the Lord, and worship him. Now, not everybody can sing doo-wop. I realize that's what we'll be singing in heaven. I realize that. But in the interim, it's okay. Jesus is honored. It's okay. It's cool. So we're real, controlled by God's word. I love the three things here. It says sing with psalms. That's literally God's word. The, the book of psalms in your Old Testament, those were hymns that they sang at special occasions. They chanted them, they memorized them, and they sang them. Really? You think all of them had great voices like me? No. I have three children and a wife. All four of them have really beautiful singing voices. You know what I got? Good looks. That's it. 
I didn't get the voice. They all got the voices. I got good looks. They got hair. I got good looks. All right. You got a hot psalm. You're singing God's word. One of the greatest ways, one of the things I love about worship music, when I see it and hear it, whether it's old hymns or something that's brand new, it's when it's scripture being sung back, singing back scripture. And there's a lot of songs that, are, that you don't even realize they're singing scripture. It's beautiful. That's what singing psalms. Then it says they sang hymns. Those were like praise songs, testimonials, Thanksgiving songs were spiritual songs. Right here, this was written 2,000 years ago. They were doing the same thing we're doing today. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Verse 17, everything. We're almost done. 17, whatever you do, do it in word or deed. Do all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, if you would, I know this is really hard. I normally don't do this with people in Arlington, but I think y'all can handle it. First Peter, flip over to First Peter, and we'll hit number four briefly, and we'll be done. First Peter chapter five. All under the Lordship of Jesus. That's your last blank under three. Now go to number four. Our, our number four on your little handout. Our expectations of a pastor. You notice I used our. It's a plural pronoun, but it includes you. It includes our elders. An elder is a pastor teacher. I'm not just a pastor. I am, yes, I'm the senior pastor, but I am an elder, a pastor teacher. We have others. So what should we expect from, what should you expect? What should we as elders expect from pastor teachers, elders, whether it's this pulpit or another? Number one, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Perhaps I should get there. 5-2. Verse 1, he says, I'm exhorting elders. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. That's the same word, elder, pastor, teacher, bishop. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. So Paul is saying to them, excuse me, Peter is saying to them, here's what I exhort you to do. Number one, shepherd. That's a verb. That's a verb. He's saying, you do the following as a shepherd of the sheep. So this is what you should expect from me and our elders, to shepherd. It's a verb. Notice what he said. Number one, we're serving willingly, willingly, that we have a desire because we love you to do two things, keep you in the word of God, whether it's from this pulpit or anything that goes on in any room in this building, or in Arlington, or anything on the auspices of Christ Church, that you are being taught the Word of God, being drawn into the Word of God, and it's part of everything we do. Willingly, willingly, not for dishonest gain. You're not doing it for money. You're not fleecing the flock. You're not doing it for any other reason but to serve. Serve. Jesus said, I came to serve and to die. We die to serve. That's what pastors do. We shepherd. It's a verb. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as lords or masters, but as examples. You should expect your leaders not only to teach the word, but to model the word. To live it. For those of you who don't know Randy Lockley, there are many that do. 
I think you need to ask people who know me. People who know me, many are here, have known me 30 plus years. There's some here that have known me uh, 50 years. I won't embarrass them. There are some, there are, I've known John Latimer almost 50 years. But you go to people that you know here, elders and others, and just ask them. The one thing that I always want people to know about me, and this is where I'm sharing my heart as we finish this, is I want to be vulnerable, I want to be real, and I want you to know who I am. That when I die, I want people to say two things about me. He loved Jesus, and the dude was crazy. He loved Jesus. He didn't just talk about it. If you were around him, you knew it. That's just who he was. Not weird, just he loved Jesus. Whether he's playing golf, when he threw his golf club, he would throw it in the name of Jesus. <laughs> when he got a technical foul playing basketball, it was in the name of Jesus. See, we're not perfect, are we? We're not perfect. We have a job. It's to guide three things. I want you to see the alliterated it so we could all remember it. To guide the flock, to guard the flock, to protect you from false teaching. That's our job. And to graze the flock. Make sure you're eating the right food. Make sure it's the truth you're being taught. Because if you're not being taught the truth, we haven't done our job. If you look at Scripture, there's two primary jobs of a pastor teacher. A lot of stuff that goes on in the church. There are two primary jobs. One is to make sure we are to be men of the Word of God, both in our personal lives and in the life of the church. And secondly, we are to be men of prayer. Men of prayer. So my prayer for our church, that it's one church, here's what I ask you to, as we close. Here's what I ask you to do. If nothing else, if nothing else, every day you pray for the leaders of your church. I don't care if it's 30 seconds. Every day I'm asking you to pray for us. I'm asking you to pray for me. If you got nothing else to pray about, throw Randy in. You can never go wrong praying for me. I need it. Would you bow your heads, please? Lord, we realize that uh, Satan doesn't like a church that stands for the word of God, so he's going to try to uh, hurt that, damage it in any way that he can. But you promised us, Jesus, the gates of hell would not prevail against your church. So, Lord, we, go, we, we claim that promise. We're simply going to stand on the word of God. We're going to stand for truth. We're going to live truth. Whether it's Arlington, Bartlett, it's going to be one church. We're going to strive for the unity for the sake of the cause of Christ, speaking the truth in love. So, Lord, as we close out this service today, and as John is closing out our service in Arlington today, we pray, Father, for unity of Christ church, a local church where the word of God is honored and Jesus is celebrated. We pray in his name. Amen. Please stand as we sing. If you'd like for me to pray with you, I'll be down front.